Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have a roundtable on a very important subject, one that is not dealt with enough in the media or anywhere for that matter, and that is the dangers of 5G technology. Of course, we all know that it is the rage these days. It's uh, all over the uh the TV shows, the radio shows, talking about, well, extolling the virtues of a faster download speed as though that were somehow sacred in our present society and more important than anything else, sort of like our health. Reality is that nothing further could be from the truth. We are being deluged with electromagnetic fields everywhere, and it's only getting stepped up dramatically with the advent and the onset of the ever-growing 5G technology in our lives, in our society, here in the United States, in Canada, in the UK, in Australia. In fact, a lot of the places where people listen to this show are being beset with this problem, and it will continue until... Well, until we stop it, or until the world wakes up and listens to shows such as today's. And to help unpack and understand what it is I'm talking about, that these are not fantasies, uh, this is not fictional, but this is based on serious science that is actually quite well known in many circles, but just not well publicized. I'll be speaking with the founders of the Alliance for Natural Health, Dr. Robert Verwerk, who is an internationally acclaimed scientist with over 25 years of experience in the field of agricultural and healthcare sustainability, having worked in academia, industry, and the not-for-profit sector. He has worked extensively in Africa, Asia, Australia, the Americas, as well is in Europe. We'll also be joined by Melanie Aldridge, who has been immersed in the field of complementary medicine for over 27 years. She's a practitioner, a university lecturer, and executive coordinator of the Alliance for Natural Health and International Medicine. And uh, she will be speaking with us as well as about the practical nature of what she sees in her work with uh, clients regarding the effects of EMFs. You know, they're sort of invisible. So is the radiation that comes from Fukushima and from Chernobyl and from our lovely microwave ovens. So the old idea of if you can't see it, it can't hurt you, well, think again. We'll be learning a lot about what can hurt us that is not visible at all. So on that note, uh, Robert and Melanie, I want to just welcome you to A Better World. A pleasure to have you both on today. Wonderful. Mitch, it's, a, it's so a real much. pleasure Mitch to be with you. Excellent. Excellent. So wonderful. So, Robert, if you would please start us off. I mean, most people don't have a clue that five technology is a problem at all. In fact, many, many people are, to the contrary, looking greatly forward to its being systematized all around the world, and uh, certainly in their own neighborhoods. Why is this a problem? Well, Mitch, first of all, let's look at why people are buying into it. The Internet of Things is being sold to us. People want to drive driverless cars. They want more virtual reality. We're seeing the development of smart cities. Everyone wants their favorite movies to download in shorter periods of time. We also see 
developments in smart farming, smart agriculture, you know, smart healthcare with more and more digital devices. So these new services and products require more and more bandwidth. And the solution that's being sold to us is 5G. Now, does it deliver? Well, the bottom line is it's it's being trialed at the moment. And um, the expectation is really to only have it up and running fully, um, probably by 2021, 2023, depending on what part of the world you're in. Um, is it beginning to deliver in the trials? There, there are 12 US cities that are now central um, to, the, to the trials. And depending where you are, Atlanta, Austin, Charlotte, Dallas, uh, LA, Vegas, New York, Oklahoma City, Phoenix, Seattle, Waco, um, interesting places. But the, the idea is to- <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah, Waco. You, you remember that as, as if they need I more do. problems. Um, um, but <laughs> right. bot, bot, bottom, bottom line is that the, in all of these places, there is resistance coming from groups of people. And the bottom line is, is the federal government has actually put in measures that allow it, make it very, very simple to install this huge infrastructure that's actually required for 5G. Because the, the, the bottom line is, as we move more towards these milliwave frequencies, these are higher and higher frequencies that are more and more like the microwaves you get in your microwave oven, if you do have one. I, I gather many listeners possibly will have already ditched do it. Not. But um, if yes. Yeah, if, if you have one. So we're moving in that direction. So you can allow huge amounts of data to be transferred, but the data cannot, the distance between a transmission tower and a receiver is shortened. And, and so the result is that you need a mass of these small cell antennae, roughly, you imagine in an urban area, about every 100 meters, every 300 or so feet. And of course, the, the, uh, these frequencies do not penetrate well through solid objects. And that can be certainly a brick wall or a car or even foliage on a tree. So they need to be amplified um, by having multiple um, transmitters on the outside of people's buildings, even on the inside of the buildings. And these things are transmitting 24 seven. So, you know, the bottom line is you're gonna be exposed to a frequency that humans at any scale, and perhaps we'll talk later about potential environmental effects as well, have never been exposed to. But the really disturbing aspect of it is, is that the dosage, the total exposure will be increased absolutely dramatically. And there are no safety studies that underpin any of this. And we have some serious question marks over even the existing um, wavelength and exposure levels that we're exposed to. Okay, so I want to ask Rob here about uh, because the, there are sort of like a few assumptions in what you're saying, and I, I want to just kind of deconstruct to another level, which is to say that are there studies that are showing what the potential harm would be of 5G? And if not, because that's too recent, then how about going a step back to 4G and then looking at the differences between the two and seeing that, you know, 5G would be a significantly uh, more powerful uh, negative effect than the 4G? Well, yeah, the, the, as you may have heard, um, the, there was a, a U.S. Senate committee hearing at the Committee for, for Commerce, Science and Technology on the 6th of February this year, where um, Senator Richard Blumenthal exposed essentially the FCC and the FDA for not having any studies at all on 5G. They then pushed them to ask whether industry had conducted any studies. And the bottom line is all of this rollout is being planned without any specific studies on 5G. Uh, coming back to your question, yes, there are a rash of studies um, looking at existing uh, wavelengths, radio frequency wavelengths that we use for wireless technologies, and they are showing everything from headaches, sperm damage, altered brain development, depression, neurological symptoms, uh, changes in people's hormone function, sleep problems, 
and of course the the, the big one that that um, obviously is a, a a major issue for so many people is the issue of cancer. And at the moment, the World Health Organization has classified it as a probable human carcinogen. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see that classification eventually changes. But the the staggering thing is that with even these kinds of uh, concerns documented in the peer review, they're running away with the rollout now without any studies underpinning it. And of course, this has been central to, to Senator Blumenthal's complaint. Right. Okay. That's very helpful. That's very helpful. So, you know, we could just take several steps back and just look at the effect of cell phone technology. Of course, we've done shows on the uh, harmful effects of, uh, of cell phones going back, you know, decades at this point. Uh, and so little has been done about protecting the public there. And so what is different then on a technological basis here, Rob, between the cell phone technology, which has all the types of symptoms that you just described show up right there, tumors, heating of the brain, headaches, digestive disorders, and the like from the cell phone. So how would you assess how this will shift and perhaps worsen the situation with 5G? Yeah, absolutely, Mitch. From from what we know, as soon as you uh, increase the frequency, which is exactly what happens when you move from 4G to the millivave frequencies that are used for 5G, you significantly increase the possibility of subtle damage to vital constituents of living systems. And DNA damage is probably the single greatest concern. And, uh, and that's why we have to, already with the existing evidence that um, the WHO um, has used, you can understand under immense pressure to not come up with the classification uh, of a 2B uh, classification through the International Agency of Research on Cancer, um, the chances of 5G causing cancer are substantially higher. Now, there's, there's two main reasons for that. One is the type of frequency that is likely to be more damaging to DNA. And the second major issue is the vast increase in exposure that will come along with 5G. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Uh, what I'm getting it here now, Rob. So we've got at least two distinct variables that are present in 5G. Number one, uh, because these frequencies, uh, millifrequencies, um, are are sort of shorter uh, or n- not so penetrable, the need for the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, <laughs> not satellites. The um, so, uh, yeah, for the, the increased, increased network. Yeah, the the the, the, the network, the right? Network. Okay, so the uh, the the, the, lo, the loci for those, um, the word is still escaping me, um, are going to be much more frequent. No pun intended. All over our urban areas. So rather than being uh, cell phone towers, that's the word I was looking. So rather than having towers, uh, you know, set up here and there hither and thither, uh, rather it's going to be like every certain number of feet, as you say, three about 300 feet, which means we're going to be completely surrounded, like and enveloped by these wherever. Mitch, so see, not only are they incredibly dangerous, but they're also incredibly ugly. So we're going to be getting sicker, um, and it's getting uglier on every single level, Plus, uh, because they're impenetrable, they're going to actually be right in our own homes, say apartments, say apartments with, with children, apartments with animals, etc. All living beings and, as you said, systems are going to be seriously adversely affected. You see that yes. the, the bottom line is that they won't be as visible as that, Mitch. They, they they won't be towers anymore. If you look at the existing installations, they're little boxes that will be sitting on telegraph poles. They've already done deals oh. to to pay. It's going to cost about two hundred and fifty dollars uh, uh, a year to hire a telegraph pole to put one of these things. So they will be they will be literally all over 
the urban areas. Um, and you know, what, what, one of the interesting things is it means that if you live in a very dense urban area, not only will you have them on all the telegraph poles and the light posts, you will also have them on the outsides of the buildings. And what they're finding, you know, Verizon, for example, who's the leader in, in the US in terms of installation, they've been installing these small antennae as they're called, these small cell antennae um, since about 2016, if you like, future-proofing their technology for the shift to 5G. So they've been buying into it for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, what they're finding is now is that they have to start installing them within buildings because even having them on the streets outside the buildings and in people's front front yards isn't sufficient to it to transmit to the back of buildings, for example. Understood. Understood. That's a graphic that I'd really rather not contemplate. Melanie, let's bring you in on the conversation here. You, uh, with Rob in the Alliance for Natural Health, have been dealing with these kinds of issues just even prior to 5G, uh, just dealing with the effect of electromagnetic fields on the brain, on the body, on the skeletal system, on tissue. Um, as a practitioner, what is it that you have seen so far with, first of all, just if you wouldn't mind talking about the effect of cell phones, um, and then 4G, and then into 5? Well, uh, thank you, Mitch. It's, uh, it's really great to be here and uh, with all the listeners. Oh, lovely. Um, I, think, um, I think it's important to say that uh, we're all individuals, and so people experience these things in very different ways. And whilst um, I found it uh, really true to say that most people have got an intuition about what ails them and what's actually what's actually triggering it. Um, some people don't, but we find the spectrum um, of some people being incredibly electro hypersensitive, where even wired devices in the house, like televisions, and having you know your digital clock by the bed and that kind of thing, is enough to um, to give them symptoms. Other people might need to spend you know, half an hour on a on a on a telephone call to start feeling the heating effects around their ears. But um, we are all being affected by our environment, and um, I think it depends as well very much on your underlying health as to how robust your body is in being able to deal with these onslaughts. Because, um, as you know yourself, if you are sleep deprived, um, if you're stressed, if you possibly are dehydrated. Um, and haven't had enough water or, or you've been on a really poor diet for a period of time, you know that your ability to resist things is much lower. So, you know, one thing that, um, that I do with all my clients is work very much on building underlying health because it is going to make you more resilient and making sure that you are as robust as you can and then looking to see how some of the um, things in your environment can be altered to make life a bit better. So Rob's already talked about um, some of the, uh, the the risks that we've got, and we already know that cell phones um, are able to give you a certain amount of thermal heating around maybe your hand um, and your head. And the industry knows all about that, and um, people will have seen that their phones already have a SAR rating. That's an SAR rating. And that basically stands for specific absorption rate that actually measures the radio frequency that's going on in the body. And um, we have that for cell phones. Um, we don't have any ratings as yet, really, for 5G. And so, um, you know, we know that 5G is giving us millimeter waves. We've been bombarded with probably hundreds, thousands, millions of them um, all the time. They're much smaller waves than we've used to be getting. And yet there's no, there's been no studies, as Rob said, on, on safety. And there's not a great deal known other than the fact that um, it's able to create a certain amount of heating. And I think um, listeners will be really interested to, to know that the, um, the origins of 5G um, was actually the military where um, you know a lot of a lot of things that we land up having um, for citizen use has um, has been born um, in the military, and 5G is is pretty much the same. And there is something quite similar um, in use, albeit not very frequently, 
um, it's a it's a crowd dispersal gun, which um, is basically a gigawatt gun that has a beam about two meters across and puts out two gigawatts in strength. And whilst this is obviously going to be vastly increased from 5G, the fact that it's used for crowd dispersal, because when it is when you are in the beam, you literally feel like your body's on fire. And um, oh it creates that much heat inside of you that you feel like you're on fire. And the minute you run away from the beam, you realize that you're okay and you're not on fire. Um, the, uh, the equipment to make this happen is quite large and ungainly. And, um, and so it's not in use very frequently. And I only, uh, I only raise it here to talk about the origins and to actually say that they know that there's a heating effect. And yes. um, and so and so whilst 5G is going to be a lot weaker, you you know as Rob said, you're talking about um, exposure, you're talking about repetition, you're talking about constantly being in the beam all of the time, and um, I think it's worth talking a little bit more here um, about the effect on the skin because obviously we're going to be bombarded by this um, continually, and that means mm -hmm. that it's going to be hitting us on our skin now. Everybody knows that um, we are covered in, um, in sweat ducts. Um, it's one of the ways that our body regulates um, our fluid balance, our temperature. temperature. And, um, and, even, and even when we are in a cold climate, we're losing as much as 15% of moisture through our sweat ducts. So they are enormously important. And, um, and what physicists um, around the world and um, you know a lot of research has gone on in Israel is that they've been showing that um, our sweat ducts end up working like mini conductors and they're able to send signals through the skin layer and they've deduced that it's actually the water that's in the skin that's absorbing the information and transmitting it and so um, they also now know that um, the, the wavelengths um, and the frequency from 5G is pretty much doing the same. And as it's hitting the skin, it's making the sweat ducts into little antennae um, that are then transmitting this information into your body. And so nobody knows, and they're very quick to say we're physicists, we're not physiologists, um, you know, we're not medics, but they have been able to show that this kind of conduction is going on. I mean, if you're taking that frequency and then you're then using your sweat ducts, as a conductor to take that information into the body. I think everyone might feel, you know, a little uncomfortable at this stage about, about having that done. Um, yes. But really, really important here, and I, I, I just wondered um, if we could have a, a slight sidebar um, and talk about water and talk about the water in our bodies. Because um, given the fact that we know that 5G is going to be having an effect on that. I think it's um, going to sure. be interesting for people to, to to think a little bit about the water in their bodies because we're pretty much all water. Um, yes. Have you covered in any of your previous radio shows um, any work the work uh, by Dr. Professor Gerald Pollock? No, Gerald Pollock, Professor Gerald Pollock with his fourth phase water. No. Um, possibly not. No, I'm I'm okay. aware of it, but no, not on the show. Okay. Um, whilst it might be a little quantum step for some people, um, I'd really like to mention it here because I think um, I think it's going to give a very graphic illustration of, of what 5G might be doing once it's translated um, into the body. So Professor Gerald Pollack's work um, has, has taught us really that there is a fourth phase of water. So everybody is, yes. you know, we used to lick I have ice, some right uh, around me right mm -hmm. now. Oh, okay, fantastic. Yeah. And, Go ahead. Um, but our, our bodies being so full of this water, um, his his team have found that when um, you know when sunlight hits our bodies, basically we turn into human plants and we start to photosynthesize to create energy, for want of a better word. And um, mm -hmm. it's really um, interesting to find out that here nature has given us a body full of water. And it's given us a body full of structures, cells and different structures that love water. And this amazing fusion between the water and the love of water creates 
um, specially charged zones, layers and layers of hydrogen and oxygen molecules that actually form like a battery around all of our cells and, um, and around our, um, our organs and throughout mm -hmm. our bloodstream. And this incredible structure, um, Pollock's team have called the exclusion zone, and they call it EZ for short because it's easy to remember. And these exclusion zones are literally powering our bodies, our metabolism, and you know um, all of the sort of internal processes in our bodies, because we're a bit like batteries, and there we soak up all of this light, and our water um, is then used, you know, as as a battery. And you know, this is the really cool bit: is that it's the only way that we can really describe and explain how. Um, how red blood cells get through the tiny, tiny surface capillaries because actually they're bigger than the capillary space. And do you know that the heart would need to pump out a thousand times more pressure than it provides to do that? And now suddenly, knowing about this fourth phase water and knowing about this exclusion zone in our bodies, we understand how that power is created. So I digress for that moment just to go back now to think about what happens when you've got 5G um, coming in, bombarding your skin, creating this heating effect, making your sweat ducts into little antennae, conducting those wavelengths, mm -hmm. and then it's entering into a system that is such, such, such an innate system and such an evolutionary mechanism for our lives. And I have to say, I, I find that um, incredibly worrying because now you've got a mechanism for disrupting the way nature has intended our bodies to power itself along with food and, and water and air. And, um, and exactly. that for me is, is very chilling. And what's even it's more very, It's like a short, no pun intended, it's sort of like a short circuit of, of biology, you know, and uh, as, yes. you're, as you're suggesting here because of the incredible matrix that exists inside of us, the water-based, it's also electrochemical, of course, but the matrix is designed in a very, very specific way. And when we mess with it, which we do, of course, with things such as GMOs. So it's, we've been experiencing the assault for a long time, unfortunately, and now we're layering on yet another uh, with, uh, with 5G on top of everything else that we've had. Well, Melanie, thank you for all of that. That uh, brings forth a whole other level of reality to the effects that uh, this 5G technology is going to have. Rob, would you just lay out a little bit more of the known science of what is going on with 5G as distinct from um, all that has gone on before? Um, in, yeah, the, in the EMF you know, world, the, I should say. Yeah, in, in the EMF world, obviously we've got, um, we've got many ways in which we trans transmit digital data. Um, one of the things that we shouldn't forget is, of course, um, while the guys have been working on wireless technologies, the fiber optic boys have been working on cable technology. And it's interesting that um, there is a battle going on between the two factions because there's huge investments involved in, in uh, you know, digging in trenches both. and roads and pavements and land. Exactly. And as it happens, the, the cable is, is actually way ahead of wireless systems at the moment. And in fact, when we get on to talk about solutions, that's something that we um, feel very yes. strongly is a big part of the solution. If we, if we decide not to buy into having more and more radio frequencies of, of unknown impact, but, but um, almost certainly everything would suggest that the impact is several orders of magnitude greater than the existing impacts, and we already have sufficient concerns with, with existing impacts. Um, you know, we should rethink potentially what we're doing. But with the wireless technologies, we, we've got land-based technology that, that is used. So we've talked about these small-cell antennae that will be anything from uh, devices that are attached to, to uh, roadside furniture. 
there will be new towers that look a little bit like telegraph poles that will handle some of the bigger transmitters. Um, and there will also be additional small cell antennae um, uh, within people's buildings. Now, another layer of that is that they're also thinking the, the way to deal with this, particularly because people don't just live in urban areas and cities, um, is to use uh, satellites. So, um, you know, there are various proposals that are knocking around that, that suggest that we will go from an existing um, two or 3,000 um, satellites up to um, something like 20,000 satellites beaming 5G technology down to us. Um, and um, so, you know, th that will actually make it very difficult for anyone to get away from it unless we use, um, you know, Faraday meshes, wire meshes, um, uh, and various textiles now that actually provide um, protection. And it's, you know, we were just at uh, a conference in, in Chicago at Autism One, and um, you may know that there is um, certainly um, increasing amounts of evidence that if you look at the various environmental triggers that make life very difficult for, for children with autism, um, electro-hypersensitivity is very much on the list. Um, and um, we were invited into a, a Faraday tent, a tent made of material that, that is resistant to, to 4G and, of course, 5G technology as well. Um, and the feeling of tranquility that you get when you move into this space. I mean, we, we, we must remember that hotels in big urban areas like Chicago are some of the worst places to be. You are really being bombarded from every corner. Anyway. Everyone's yes. got cell phones. Yeah. And, you know, when your technology is operational, when your cell phone is actually running, um, you can actually measure, measure this massive increase in your exposure. But you go into mm -hmm. a protected environment like that, and you feel this immediate sense of tranquility. Um, and the guys who had the tent up um, said, you know, that they were getting children from the autism conference who were coming through, autistic kids who just came into the mm -hmm. tent and they'd been, you know, running around, uh, you know, having difficulty with all the challenges and stimuli around, and they'd come into the tent, just lie down on the floor and go to sleep. Um, and that gives you an idea of what happens when you start taking these exposures away from us. And more and more of us have, you know, almost none of our time are we, are we free of exposure. People have metal beds, yes. they have um, devices and wireless routers that they don't turn off overnight. Um, you know, we, they've got devices sitting by their bedside table. A lot of people don't even put their phones on, on airplane mode and continue to be exposed to more radiation. So um, yes. if you couple those kind of exposures to the um, predicted uh, additional exposure we get, because it, it's not just the, the millimeter waves and the additional devices. The fact is that as our society becomes more orientated towards using more of it, more digital data, more products and services, more driverless cars, more smart cities, the, the background level of usage that the increased um, uh, bandwidth allows gives this you know, almost unthinkable level of increased exposure. And that's why we feel so strongly that you know, governments have already bought into it. They've already found the shortcuts that allow the technology to be rolled out. The only thing that will stop it is to have a joined up um, effort between the scientists who are really now starting to come, come together um, to be able to, um, you know, ensure that the public is getting useful, meaningful information. So phys Physicians for Safe Technology, Americans for Responsible Technology are two examples of groups of American and international scientists who are coming together saying, guys, this has to stop. There is no, um, there, there is no safety studies that, that are able to justify the use even at the existing exposures, and certainly not with the increased exposures. Um, you know, there's the 5G space appeal that's an international appeal to stop 5G on Earth and in space in order to deal with uh, the satellite issues. And people need to know what else they can do to make sure that they can still live in the modern world, still communicate using technology. Before we safely. launch headlong, excuse me, if I may just... Uh... 
interject here, Rob. Uh, I, I wholly want to get into that, and it's so important. But I'd like to also make a couple of distinctions uh, ahead of that, which is that, you know, electricity has been a questionable thing uh, for a long time, almost since its advent, you know. When people thought about it, they were putting fire into the walls of their houses. And many people were very opposed to it because that, in fact, is really what it is. Um, it's conducted through yeah, wires, yeah. and it's been somewhat insulated. But in reality, if you look at things elementally, which you know we in the world of Chinese medicine do, uh, it's the element of fire. And um, it also, of course, so many, many... Uh, different types of values, virtues, and vices, as we're obviously exploring. But the distinction that I really kind of wanted to make here and see what you have to say about it is that electricity is also used therapeutically. I mean, I've been using electricity in one form or another, electroacupuncture, for instance, and that has a very uh, kind of medicinal therapeutic healing effect. Um, and energy medicine is the use of frequencies going back, let's say, all the way to Rife back in the 1920s and forward since mm -hmm. then. So there are ways of using electricity and frequencies that are very healing. Sound, after all, is a frequency. It's also got an, a huge volume of data about the healing of music is a series of frequencies. So I want to kind of make a distinction here between the different kinds of frequencies, the length of frequencies, the Hertz level of frequencies, and what it is we're talking about when we're talking about these very concentrated certain shapes and lengths of frequencies that you're referring to and what we see in the cell phone technology all the way up to 5G. Could you just make a comment or two about that? Sure, absolutely. The, the, the rule of thumb here, Mitch, is, is that um, obviously everything, uh, you know, heat, sound, as you, as you rightly say, are all frequencies. We are not only bioelectrical beings, we are electromagnetic beings. So we are, Very we true. are built to be exposed and we, we have to deal with all sorts of geothermal effects from the, from, from the body the, electromagnetism well mm -hmm. from the Earth. So the, the rule yeah. of thumb here is when we start looking at exposures that we are normally and have been exposed to for the last million or so years of our evolution, we are very well adapted to it. And it's, it's yeah. a little bit like saying, you know, we are adapted to heat, but only up to a certain amount. You put your hand in the fire and you burn, you sit next to the fire and you've got probably the most important mechanism that, that allowed social systems to evolve um, as they did, sitting sure. around fires and chewing, chewing the cud and, and sharing story. Um, exactly. The, it's the different than being, is, from being warm to being burned alive, right? Correct, it is. correct. So that when, we, when we move to, to these kind of technologies, we're, we're essentially looking to new to nature exposure, exposures that we have never been exposed to. You mentioned the idea of... Um, TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, of the use of meridians and energy and, you know, biotherapeutic yes. and bioenergy medicine. All of this often uses energy systems that are very targeted, very specific points using meridians that, that have been under, well understood in, in energy medicine often for thousands of years. It is the indiscriminate exposure to new to nature wavelengths and frequency, as well as the, mm -hmm. the massive increase in exposure that is more akin to um, the kind of problems that we see in the world of pharmaceuticals. Um, pharmaceuticals are essentially, more than 75% of pharmaceuticals are derived from originally from botanical substances. But what makes them unique in the process is the development of the patent where they're altered, they're disconnected from the, the, the way in which we're Nature. exposed to these things naturally. Yes, That's synthesized. And we, and, and we then, and, and we, we then get a bunch of side effects that, that are now um, putting the whole of uh, Western medicine under under the spotlight. Um, and of course, we as soon as we we see this shift, we we know that now that nature prescribing going into nature makes everyone feel a whole lot better. And there are many many Very reasons true. for this. It's not just 
the, the, the reduced exposure to stress or even EMF uh, or chemicals. Um, there is a relationship that we develop when we are in nature where we actually reconnect to our evolutionary history. And, and that is central to, to, you know, how we actually regain health. So it, it's very interesting. Things like social prescribing and environmental or nature prescribing are these sort of interesting newcomers now that we're seeing failures in pharmaceutical medicine. But actually, all they are things that we have always done and with the breakdown of, of, of social structures and society and families, um, you know, of, of which we have to admit digital technology, even though at some level it can pull people together and reduce social isolation, it is also mm -hmm. a massive disruptive factor. And of it's course, also isolating. It's, that, it's very exactly. paradoxical from that point of view. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd like to know, I appreciate okay. everything you and Melanie have been sharing here. I'd like to just uh, underscore one or two points, if possible, here, and then launch into, I, to me, there are two topics that I'd like to still cover here. One is the antidote to this onslaught, a sort of, you could say, uh, a series of or different forms of Faraday cages, or as we know, there are EMF blockers that have been on the market for a long time, some of which are well-proven um, and effective, and others not so much. And I, I'm fortunate that I, I met a uh, chiropractor recently who has come up with one that has been measured, interestingly, um, to have a uh, neutralizing effect up to what is considered 9G, which I don't even want to think about it because we'd all be really in flames by then. But, uh, but the point being that even at the level of 5G, uh, he, those studies have shown effectiveness in blocking those frequencies uh, from the point of human health. So I'd like to talk about what we have as antidotes that you both know about, as well as then the, what you were starting to talk about before, the collective action, the legislative action, the public outcry to stop these guys in their tracks. Because even if there are remedies, if you don't have a culture full of cancer, then you don't need the remedy. So I think we'd rather go in that direction if possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if, I, if, I, if I jump in and take the, uh, Melanie, take please. A, a health, I'll take a health view on this one. Um, it's the fact that to just remind people that your underlying health is your one of your biggest protections, and um, you know, immune function, etc. Yep. Yes, immune function, diet, lifestyle, to get your resilience, to get your inflammation down. I mean, obviously. Inflammation is essentially a healing reaction in the body, but the danger That's happens right. when it doesn't, it doesn't turn off in, in a time-appropriate fashion. And exactly. chronic inflammation is the basis of chronic disease. So by, right. by working with our immune systems, by making sure that our mitochondria, the energy factories in our cells, uh, have got what they need um, to do their job well, and to make sure that we eat right, um, that we get the right amount of sleep, that we manage our stress as well as we can. These are really, really important um, protections because if your body is strong and resilient, it's a bit like a, a sapling bending in the wind rather than a very brittle twig that's just going to snap. And, yes. um, and, then, and then obviously you want to be, you know, turning your phone on airplane mode at night. You want to be minimizing the amount of, stimulation, um, you know, in your bedroom, turning off your Wi-Fi at night, giving yourself as much of a break as you possibly can um, from all of the rays that bombard you every day. Um, and, that's, and that's a big, you know, that's already um, something that everyone can do in, a, in an empowered way to take action for themselves and their families. Um, and then obviously there's the devices that you've mentioned, you know, the sleeves to cover your phone with, uh, making sure that your children um, aren't exposed to phones and tablets without appropriate um, radiation coverings as well. Um, mm -hmm. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, I, I think 
I, I've, I've certainly had clients in the past who are so sensitive that they've had to use um, sort of akin to a Faraday paint um, on the inside of their on, of their homes to actually block the radiation coming in. And, you know, as Rob talked about the, the sort of Faraday tent, we may be back in a situation like that if you've chosen not to have 5G in your home, but you want to make sure that you're not getting it coming in from elsewhere as well. Um, I think we're going to start to see the emergence of a lot more tech on the market to help protect ourselves. Yes, I think you're right. Thank you uh, for that absolutely. input. Rob, if if I can if I can underscore some of the things that, that Mel said, you know, I I I think it's useful for people to think of it in three distinct areas. You know, at, at one level, it's it's what you do. If you can reduce your personal dependence on 5G technology, that's a really really good start. So it means not buying into the latest technology that Verizon or or Sprint or AT and T are selling you. Um, and and of course, mm -hmm. the most vulnerable group. Are, are the youngsters who believe that by upgrading to this technology, they're going to be seeing all the movies they possibly can. And that's why a lot of the marketing is directed, you know, to this. Yes. Um, turning devices off, don't get smart meters, um, don't sleep in a metal bed. Uh, uh, you know, wood is an amazing technology. Nature invented it for good reason. Um, and, you know, metal beds mm -hmm. tend to act as antennae. Um, yes. really trying to restrict use of, of the technology for, for children is really important. And when it comes to the, the second area, which is the use of, of blocking technologies, um, the most important thing there is where you have um, close exposure. So, so things like cell phones and, and, and iPads. But obviously, again, as Melanie has said, in relation to children, really important. And um, what, what probably is, in terms of the, the sort of 24-hour cycle of our exposure, the most important time to avoid exposure, to bring that absolutely to a minimum, and actually being able to sleep in a, in a Faraday tent overnight could be a solution if you're in a busy urban area and you're de demonstrating signs of electrohypersensitivity, is to, is to make sure you're in a wooden bed within a protected environment. Um, using um, one of these EMF protected fabrics over you. Um, mm -hmm. On the the third area is really the is, is actually the, the the real need to become an activist, um, not tomorrow, mm -hmm. um, but today, um, because the only way in which um, the rollout is going to be stopped is by people working together to 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 access the kind of data that you're seeing. Um, you know, that there are NGOs that are really um, focusing heavily on this, uh, such as the Environmental Health Trust. Um, I've mentioned a couple of the um, physicians organizations like Physicians for Safe Technology. Um, getting, communicating at the grassroots level to your local community to help others to, to really not jump on the bandwagon is really, really key. Um, I, I, I think it's going to get messy. There's no doubt it's going to get messy because the um, the amount of uh, investment already that has been made in it, um, without even the public knowing what is happening, um, could actually um, spark uh, potentially some some activity in the courts. And um, as far as I'm concerned, the sooner we see cases of electrohypersensitivity linked to 5G brought to the courts, the more likely it is. For, for the rollout to be stopped. Excellent. And now, may, are may there... Uh, yes, Melanie. Mitch, I just wanted to add, um, because I think this is so important to, for people to understand that um, there is no independent panel that are making decisions on 5G for citizens. It is a wholly industry panel. And the... Some of the physicists who've done this work on the sweat glands, the sweat ducts, and the water, they've actually taken their science and they've taken their research to this body back in 2014, and it's all been swept under the carpet. So mm. it's down to us. We, it's down to so us. We, what, we, we need to say no. What are some sources, if either of you could uh, – cite them or give us places where we could find the most up-to-date 
and reliable science showing the effects of 5G and others, but we're really focused on 5G right now, uh, on the human body and mind, actually. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the the two websites that, that probably have most usefully compiled the data, and that you've got to really go yes. into those websites and look at the links to the peer-reviewed papers as well, is probably the Environmental Health Trust, um, um, as well as um, Physicians for Safe Technology. If you just put those those names okay. into Google, it will bring up their, their URLs. Um, you know, you can go to 5gspaceappeal.org as well, um, which has also documented a lot of the science. Um, one of the um, – there is an EU uh, uh, website called 5gobservatory.eu that is um, maintaining a view on the rollout all over the world, including in the U.S., um, and showing people exactly where the trial sites are so that you can see, you know, where it, where it's happening, if it's in your city or, um, you know, members of your family or whatever. So it's worth also keeping an eye on 5gobservatory.eu to see what's happening there. Okay, so in terms of overall um, proportion, if it's being rolled out on a trial basis then in – 12 cities out of hundreds and thousands across the world, uh, relatively speaking, even if there has been multi-billion dollar investments already or close to it by the major telecom and other companies, still in all, by and large, it's a relatively small uh, footprint as of this moment. And I'm only saying that because when it comes to the idea of overcoming this uh, egregious and onerous movement, um, we actually do stand um, some chance in uh, bringing forward legislation that could stop this in its tracks. Your thoughts about that? Well, there, there are various bills um, in um, various states in the U.S. that are attempting to block the rollout. You, you've got to remember that the, that the rollout does not require, if you, if you think that existing 4G technology, you can support around 4,000 devices per square kilometer. And, you know, that's one of the reasons in a really dense city, you'll find that sometimes when everyone you know, comes back from work and decided to download movies and speak to their friends, you can have problems with bandwidth. And of course, that's one of the reasons that 5G goes from 4,000 devices per square kilometer up to a million devices per square kilometer. Oh, um, and God. If, if, if they're able to, to transmit, move to, to, to space and increase the, the satellites, they will go from around about the 2,000 or so uh, satellites that we currently see for 4G up to around about 20,000. 20,000, so, right? Um, you mentioned. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So it, I mean, it is it is this this absolutely vast increase in the in the amount of of net exposure. Now, all of that installation for this these highly dense networks does not require planning permission in the way that it did when you're putting up you know cell phone towers. Um, so they've already got by that, and and um, and that's one of the reasons that local government um, has has had no say in this. It's all happened at a federal level, and that's why it's so important that that pressure, you know, um, you know, via the Senate and in Congress is so important. Now, th there are a couple of bills that are ha have got a certain amount of support that are attempting to, you know, throw a spanner into the works, but as yet there isn't enough understanding of the potential problems. Um, I, I should just mention one other organization that if you don't mind diving into um, um, a slightly antiquated uh, website structure that, that has kept a really good record of the data over the years on um, existing radio frequency emissions. It's a UK nonprofit called PowerWatch. Um, and again, um, you can just, put, put powerwatch.org.uk 
um, into into Google, and you and you'll find um, a lot of information there, also on electrical power. But go into the wireless technology area, um, go into the area on human health effects, and you'll see a very detailed library. Um, you know, as well as advice on how to reduce exposure and you know childhood leukemia, etc. Excellent, excellent. Well, you have given us a tremendous amount of information, Rob and Melanie. Uh, this has been rich. This has been scary. Um, it's been alarming, and it's inspiring uh, toward the need for collective action. And this is just the way it is. If it's just up to us, it's always up to us. The level of greed and unconsciousness is immeasurable. I wish we had a metric on that so we can start reducing that in a scientific way. <laughs> but as it is, uh, we just have to be broadcasting, no pun intended, uh, the remedies and solutions through information like you have both provided amply here. So I want to thank you both so much for being a guest on the show today. For getting the word out, because what, what, what you're doing in terms of, uh, you know, making sure that more people get to listen to this podcast, it's absolutely key. You won't read about any of this on the, on the broadsheet newspapers or on mainstream television. So this is the only kind of way in which the information is being communicated. So thank you too, Mitch. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. In fact, in closing, would you please give your website for the Alliance so people can also tune into the your website where you have uh, really rich information for people about uh, a whole spectrum of information on natural health? Sure. Our website, Alliance for Natural Health International, so anhinternational.org, dot O-R-G, anhinternational.org. Um, our U.S. arm that, that has not as much information on these areas um, is anh-usa.org, um, but, but um, certainly we'll, we'll be getting more information on the U.S. website in due course. Beautiful. Well, I'll make sure you receive the link. It will be permanently on ours at abetterworld.tv under Radio Archive with both of your names so anyone could search in our search engine and identify this radio show and listen and share it with others. And we'll have the link set sent over to you so you can also uh, use it to let your audiences and your network know as well. So, Robert Ververick and Melanie Aldridge, thank you again for being on with me today and uh, informing our audience of this incredibly important subject. It's been a great thank pleasure. You so thank much. you so much. Bye-bye. Absolutely. We'll talk Bye. again. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. These two have just given us all such a, a gift of knowledge that we all need and to really digest. It's a bit haunting and daunting at the same time, but in fact, this is the kind of knowledge we need and we have been providing you with on A Better World for decades, quite literally. A Better World Radio, A Better World TV, our newsletters, our website is about informing the public, educating and inspiring toward healthy action. So I want to thank all of you for tuning in. Remember that we are a nonprofit organization ourselves. To keep us uh, alive and on the air and thriving, please think of us when you want to make a donation. Just contact me at mjr at abetterworld.net. That's my direct email address, mjr at abetterworld.net. Plus, I love getting your suggestions, thoughts, and comments about our shows. It's so important to me. Please send this link also to others uh, so they can also benefit from the information. Also, visit us at our website, and if you don't yet get our newsletter, you will by simply going to www.abetterworld.tv. 
abetterworld.tv. And if you want uh, various stress management, coaching, and counseling services, as well as energy balancing, make sure to go to www.mitchellrabin.com. M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B, as in boy, I-N, dot com. And you can learn more about what it is we offer here. Just be in touch by phone or email, 212-420-0800. And thank you all for listening. It's so appreciated. There are so many places you can go and tune in. And thankfully, we have people from all over India, UK, Canada, Philippines, South Africa, Australia, and uh, it's delightful. Thanks again. This is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.